everybody. Good to have you in the Lord's house today. I am the fill-in songs leader. Brother John is on vacation up in Maine. Life is good, isn't it? But I enjoy leading singing mostly because I have a universal agreement. When I lead singing, you have to sing out better, louder, greater, gooder, however you want to say it, because you have to make up for my, my lacking. So you make up for that as I lead singing this morning. We're going to start off with a couple songs. We're going to do, um, let me find it, The Lily of the Valley and Victory in Jesus. So we're going to start out just sitting down. You're fine right where you are. And then we'll transition as we go. Right. 
singing this morning. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Ask God to come and meet with us today. Lord, we come before you and we truly thank you for your many, many blessings to us. We thank you for the church you've given us as far as the facility goes. Even more so, thank you for the church you've given us as far as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we even more so thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we come and worship together in this place at this time, that in every way we might lift you up and exalt you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. And as I look down here, they've got my announcements. Okay, choir. We're going to let it go right to the choir.
We're going to sing a couple songs. Come thou fount, come thou king. In, in Christ alone. Let's stand for this.
I'd like you to take your Bibles with me, if you would, please, and turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 37 down through 42 this morning of Acts chapter 2. Title of, a message, of my message this morning is, We Can't Give Up. We can't give up. And it largely comes out of verse 40 in this text. So when we read on down through, verse 40 tells us what we're facing and why we can't give up as Christians living our Christian faith. So Acts chapter 2, verse 37 down through 42, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's ask God's blessing on his word. Lord, as we read down through this text, we, we get a glimpse into the earliest church, the early times of the apostles in Christendom. And Lord, we see what they were faced and what they were dealing with. Yet we see them come together and work together as believers. And Lord, I pray that as we look in this text, we too could see ourselves, our circumstances in life. And that we too would be as committed as they in living their faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When you look down at verse 40, I want you to notice the last part of what he says. He says, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And that reminds us that no matter what generation we're in, no matter what century, no matter what grouping of people, whether you're the youngest child, that, that young adult, or that middle-aged person, or maybe you're becoming a grandparent or a great-great-grandparent. No matter what your generation is, just like then, we look around and we're a little bit appalled by the untoward generations around us. In fact, sometimes not even that far away. If you sit down and talk to somebody who's maybe in their 60s or 70s, they'll say things like, I don't know what's happened to these young people. They don't even know how to work. Have you all heard that? You know, or, oh, the list could go on and on. 
of those kind of things. And the irony of that is, that's exactly what our grandparents said when we were kids. And that's what their grandparents said when they were kids. In this text, these early Christians, they were living in a time when the Roman Empire was in power. They had come into this region, the region of the Jews. They had conquered it and they were oppressing it. But not only were they dealing with the Roman Empire, they were dealing with rogue Judaism. Judaism that no longer fit the image of the Old Testament, but had crept in and was a mix of politics and religion. And so when you look at this verse, Peter is simply telling them, listen, save yourselves. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Come to Christ, come to him and find faith and peace and security. Stop trusting in Rome. Stop trusting in the Pharisees and Sadducees of Judaism. Take your eyes off of the temple worship and put your eyes upon the cross. It's interesting when we start out, we, we understand the power of the gospel for every generation when we read this. Christianity was just a, a newborn faith at this point. The Old Testament, with all the established ritualism of worship and sacrifice, had gone on for such a long time. And all of a sudden, he who was prophesied to come, he, was, he that was foretold to come, had come, Jesus Christ. And the gospel, like a flame burning through dry grass, began to spread. But this is just the beginning. So when we pick it up there in verse 37, and it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You're looking at people there in Jerusalem who understand that they had just crucified Christ. He'd been buried. He'd resurrected. He'd ascended up. Peter had just got done preaching a powerful message to the community at that time. Not the church, to the whole community. And people started saying, what do we do? What do we do? We as a people have just crucified the Messiah, the Savior, the anointed one of God. What do we do? And it's a reminder to each and every one of us that the gospel, no matter what generation, no matter what their sinfulness or lack of sinfulness, no matter what their religion or exposure or lack thereof to religion, no matter who they are, the gospel message still touches hearts. As Peter preached that day and his word went out to the community of Jews in his area, these folks, all of a sudden, God pricked their hearts. You and I, we drive through our neighborhoods and our community here in Addison County. And as you drive by houses on all these side roads, I very often talk to God about it while I drive. As I come up through Virgins and I see people walking on the sidewalks, coming in and out of the stores, I pray and I say, Lord, help, help me as a pastor. Help our church. Help us to reach the people of our community. On these side roads, in these little neighborhoods, out in the, the back ways, in these hedges and byways, as the Bible calls it. 
Because I am fully convinced that just as then, so is now, that God still touches hearts. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. No matter what generation it is, God looks in the hearts and lives of the people who live. It says he tries their reins. It means that he tries guiding, steering, altering, wooing, beckoning the hearts and lives of those people. When we look in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says the heart is desperately wicked. It is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We can know it. Who can know it? Who can know the heart of your neighbor, your friend, your co-worker? Who can know? Even your children. Can you really know their heart? No. So you and I have the responsibility of Peter, the responsibility of the apostles, the generation of Christians who lived then. You and I still bear that responsibility today of knowing that they need to hear. They need to hear the truth. So we may live in a post-Christian state, community. We might live in a post-Christian nation. But that doesn't mean we can ever give up. We still have to share the truth. Peter was standing before the very people who had cried for the crucifixion of Christ. But he didn't shrink back and give up. We can never give up. Acts chapter 2 verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? It is the exact same question that every generation asks when they finally understand that God cares about them. That God paid the price for them on the cross. That they themselves are sinners in need of salvation. They ask that simple question, what shall we do? Now the sad thing is, all around the world people give other answers. They may say to him, well, you, you just need to live all the gusto of life you can. But the problem is when you've lived all the gusto of life you can, when you come to the end, there's no hope. You want to come to God so that while you live all the life that God gives you, at the end, you can say, but I am at peace with God. And the only way to do that is to follow the message of the Lord for every generation, every culture, every people. It's unchanging. And so Peter on that day, he was asked that very pointed question. What must we do? And as we look at verses 38 down through 40, we see that spiritual answers, they touch hearts. And they touch the hearts of those people that day just as they still touch hearts today. The message has not changed. Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47. Listen to what is said. Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, 
and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So when we look at that, we understand that God's desire and goal and objective for every generation, every nation, every people, every time, he says it's just the simple gospel. It is that Jesus Christ suffered, crucified, buried, rose from the dead the third day. The hope of the world is not more money. It's not more grain. It's not better environment. The hope of the world is salvation for the soul, peace with God, parameters of life. You know, uh, we have the Ark Preschool Kindergarten operates Monday through Friday, little boys and girls three, four, and five years old. In the summer, we have a day camp and our staff, they do an amazing job. We have 36 boys and girls here every day. It's incredible. I walk down through and all the little kids say, hi, Pastor Taylor. And I come through, I say, hi, we all smile, I love it. <laughs> but one thing that doesn't happen here, whether it's school year or summer day camp, is I never hear, hear the staff yelling at the kids. Never hear them uh, hitting the kids. Never hear them uh, abusing the kids. I never hear that. And thank the Lord for that, amen? But yet, sometimes I'll come down from my office and I'll come up here to get something or do whatever I'm doing. And, and there's all these little three-year-olds, four-year-olds standing in line waiting to use the bathroom or coming out of the bathroom standing in line. And they're just standing there, maybe chatting a little bit. But they're not hitting each other. They're not throwing themselves on the ground. They're not screaming. They're not pulling each other's hair. All those things you hear about with kids. Why? Why is that? Because I'll tell you, Miss Jessie and Miss Rachel, they have taught them boundaries. Now those boundaries are not because they beat the kids. It's not because they kick them or, you know, they're not locking them in, in closets. They very patiently, very calmly, Far more patiently and kindly. That's why I don't work down there. <laughs> but they very patiently and kindly teach them boundaries. And it's incredible. Parents will drop off their kids the first of the year. And they'll say, good luck. Because <laughs> their three-year-old is the terror of the neighborhood. And to my amazement, Within a short period of time, that little devil is all of a sudden a little angel. <laughs> Standing in line with all the other little boys and girls, waiting to wash their hands or do whatever they got to do. Because Jesse and Rachel have taught boundaries. We live in an untoward generation, just like is talked about in this text. And what do they need? What does this generation need? They need the boundaries of God. Those simple parameters to know that we are accountable to a higher authority. What happens with a lot of these three-year-olds is when they get home, they're the authority. And mom and dad are like, oh, I don't want to upset Juniorette. And so they never set boundaries. 
What's wrong with the untoward generation of today? They need to understand that God has set boundaries. Everything from salvation to daily living, relationships, business, finances, every part of our lives, there are parameters and boundaries taught to us in the scriptures that guide us and make us a better people. Of course, we know that salvation starts with Christ. And that's exactly where they start that day. That's why in verse 38 it says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But he doesn't really stop there. He knows that spiritual answers touch hearts. And so he's going to give them more as he comes down through. He says in verse 39, For the promises unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many words did he testify and exhort. You and I can't give up. We have to share the truth. We have to share the truth. Through our congregation is a sprinkling of carpenters and builders. And the Bible talks about building houses on the shifting sand or the solid rock. And we have to make a decision in our lives. Do I follow the simple common sense boundaries of building or do I dig my heels in like a spoiled three-year-old say, no, it's my way. And build our house on the shifting sand and bear the consequences of it moving, shifting, coming apart. Or do I listen to God in my life and build upon the solid ground of God's design so that when the storms come, when the rains come, it doesn't all wash and erode away. The Bible is full of so much truth. And it still touches hearts if we will but share it with those who need to know. You know, it's interesting that 2 Peter chapter 3, 9 tells us that God does not desire that any should perish. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, this verse says it almost the same thing. He says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who would have all men to be saved. And to come unto the knowledge of the truth. God would desire that everybody we know, everybody we encounter, everybody we are involved with in their lives and in ours. He says, I desire that they would all come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But do they just go ahead and say to you, oh yeah, no, listen, I want to know. Not always. Sometimes just the opposite. Sometimes they say, I don't want to know. Don't tell me about that. But do we give up? Years ago, I took a whole group of teenagers down to see different Bible colleges around America. Sandra Joe and I loaded up the van. This is probably 20 years ago. And we went from here all the way to Florida. Went to about five different colleges, showed the kids the Christian colleges. Well, when we were in Florida, the kids wanted to go to the ocean. And it was wintertime, it was during Christmas break, but Floridians were cold, but these Vermont kids, they were hot. Yeah. 
So we had let them bring their swim trunks. So we went to the ocean. And as we were standing on the beach, uh, another pastor was with us. I'm trying to remember. And he said to me, he used to be a lifeguard. And he says, you see that line right there? He says, that's rip current right off the beach. So I told all the kids before they went into the water, I said, now listen, this pastor who was a, a, a lifeguard, he says, that's the rip current right across there. Do not go into that rip current. And then he told them, he said, and if you do get caught in the rip current, he said, don't try to swim back. Swim with the current until you can come out of it along the side, parallel to the beach. And so we explained it to the kids. And they all went in the water, they were all swimming, and all of a sudden, I see that they are actually caught in the rip current. And I yelled out to him, and he yelled out to him, and we're trying to decide, do we need to go and save these kids? Are they okay? They're all college age. I mean, they graduated high school. They look like they're okay. And they did exactly what he said. They went along with the rip current, and then they swam back into shore. I mean, we're ready to jump in. They'd have had to save me, probably. <laughs> but the reality is, life is full of truth that maybe we don't even want to hear. Those kids, they don't want to hear that there's a rip current out there. And they don't want to hear that they have to do this and this and this. They just want to be 18, 19-year-olds who could care. Because they're indestructible. But that doesn't mean we don't tell, that we don't warn, and that we don't watch if we need to help. So when you see Peter here, and he preaches to his community, and they say, what must we do? Tell us what to do. Even if they don't like what they hear, we still have to tell. We still have to share the truth. And so we understand that spiritual answers still touch hearts. And as we come down to verses 41 and 42 in our text, we see that touched hearts still make spiritual decisions today, just as it did then. Listen to what takes place in verses 41 and 42 of our text. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about and let's say that together. 3,000 souls. Wow. 3,000 souls. So that day, as Peter's preaching to the community, the more than the population of virgins came to Christ that day. That's a lot of people. So as we come down here, look at what takes place in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. All of a sudden you saw changed lives. Their hearts were touched with the message. Listen, this, this is in Jerusalem. These are the same people who just a little while ago were screaming, crucify him, crucify him. And now... 3,000 of them come to faith, come to Christ. They receive Christ as their Savior. And what did they start doing? They believed, they were baptized, and they continued in the teachings of the apostles. 
breaking of bread, fellowshipping, touched lives. When hearts are touched with the gospel, it changes people's lives. And you and I, we can never give up. We can never say to ourselves, this untoward generation is without hope. There is no generation without hope. There is no generation that God does not want to touch their soul, beckon them and woo them and move them to salvation. There is no generation that can't go ahead and all of a sudden see and understand that there is a God who loves them. It can be, this generation is full of technology, knowledge beyond what has ever been, but they still have the same heart as their father, their grandfather, their great-grandmother, their great-great-grandmother. The soul, the spirit, God still ministers to. Now, there may be a, a war of the mind for this generation and a war for the heart. But God still touches and woos and beckons to the souls of mankind. When you look in this text, you come down to the very last verse, Acts chapter 2. It says these people who come together, 3,000 of them added to the church. He says, they came praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. You and I, we're gathered this morning, singing praises to God. Might not be the best song leader, but we all manage to sing. Amen? Amen. We might have missed a beat here or there. But we still managed to praise God, didn't we? Because we came for the purpose of worshiping the Lord. We are no different in this generation than they were then. We are still the creation of God. And your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, the people who you interact with all the time, they need to know. Now, maybe you know Christians who at one time they did come and praise God and worship. And they have let this untoward generation pull them away. Ah, you can never give up. You have to pray for them, minister to them, love them. Let them know we'd love to have you come and fellowship again. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. They're part of the family of God. One day we're going to get to heaven and we're all going to sit around and visit and talk about the good old days. But we live in these days now and we can never give up. We have to continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for coming and being in the Lord's house this morning. And as we go forth, do not give up. Keep sharing Keep sharing the hope that is in Christ with those who are about you. Amen. I'm going to close us in prayer. Father, we thank you. We ask that you go with us as we go forth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're dismissed. Thank you for coming this morning.